The problem is women have been trained, especially in the love life area of our life, to be easygoing, low maintenance, as amenable as possible. And that sets a precedent for the relationship of being more easygoing than frankly most women are and not understanding that your needs are important. And men have been dating selfishly for years. If you look at the word selfless, it's only the highest compliment when it comes to women. The fact that the highest compliment for women is when we forget ourselves, which is literally the definition of selfless, is actually something that I started to look at and being like, well, why am I being complimented on putting everyone else first and forgetting myself? I'm important too. Michelle Elman is a life coach and she thinks we should all be a bit more selfish in our love lives. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show. And as you probably know by now, I am on a mission to find ways for us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. So you are absolutely in the right place if you want to learn how to have a better second half of life. So let's talk about our love life for a moment. How's yours? Well, mine's pretty empty at the moment, having got divorced during lockdown. That's a whole other story. And uh, kissed a few frogs subsequently, uh, still yet to find a prince. And I think one of my own issues here, if I'm being honest, is that I see myself as a fixer. You know, I'm the one who sorts stuff out. I deal with problems. I cope with stresses. And maybe... Maybe that perhaps makes me too much of a mother figure to be seen romantically, perhaps. What do you think? Maybe I come across as a bit too strong, a bit too capable, when in fact, inside, I do actually feel far from it. So do I need to open up a bit, be a bit more vulnerable? It's not really my style, but perhaps I should be sharing this rawer side of me a bit more. I definitely, definitely need to be better at setting boundaries. You know, I came downstairs the other day to find my ex sitting in my kitchen, calmly eating a bowl of cereal, my cereal, obviously. And so I had to gently point out that he had actually crossed a boundary. Well, if any of this resonates, Michelle is here to talk us through how to see ourselves as more desirable and worthy, how to express our needs without feeling needy and why we shouldn't settle. Not only is she a life coach, Michelle also has qualifications as a master NLP practitioner, something we've discussed here before with Paul McKenna, and she's also a master hypnotherapist. And now she's written her third book, The Selfish Romantic, about how we can apply boundaries to our dating lives in a way that ultimately makes our relationships happier and healthier. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Michelle, welcome. Your book is called The Selfish Romantic, two words that aren't generally found together. So what does being a selfish romantic mean to you? Thank you so much for having me on. So The Selfish Romantic was definitely born out of the response to my second book, The Joy of Being Selfish. And what I found is that we're so on board with self-love and self-care, but the moment you say selfish, it's like, whoa, you've gone too far. Yet self-love and self-care are actually quite lofty concepts. So of course, it's very easy to get on board with. But if you actually look at the practical nature of putting yourself first, for putting yourself top of your priority list, someone has to be bumped down. And that's not optional, that's compulsory. And when you look at the definition of selfish, it's at the disregard of other people's needs. But again, that's a compulsory part. So if you want to prioritize your need for rest, then you need to lower your response to your boss, for example. So let's say he wants a reply on a Friday evening, but you're trying to enjoy your Friday evening. You do need to disregard his need for that email in order for you to prioritize your need for rest. And I think sometimes it's very easy to say self-love, self-care, as long as everyone else is taken care of first. Mm. But there's no time and energy left if you do it that approach. Right. <laughs> so how did you reach a point where you realized that personally you needed to be more selfish in love? specifically? Well, I really related to your story. I was a giver, very proudly so. It would probably be the worst thing you could have told me at the time was a bad girlfriend or a bad friend. Mm. And I was the definition of a people pleaser. But if I was being really honest, I was a pushover. And it was a moment (laughs) where my partner at the time, um, I had missed his call and I called him back 10 minutes later and he went, oh, that's strange. You're usually at my beck and call. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, not only do you think that of me, you have the nerve to say that to my face. And then I came home, got into a massive fight with all of my housemates and my one of my housemates said, do you know what we have to do to tolerate living with you? And it was that word tolerate where I was like, geez, how have I surrounded myself with people who treat me so badly? And as you were mentioning earlier about being a giver, unfortunately, when you are a giver, there are going to be people who appreciate it, but there are also going to be people who took advantage of that Mm. and only really wanted me in their life for what I could do for them, for what I could give them, as opposed to who I actually was. And so I ended up going on this journey of being consciously, I ended it with that guy and ended up being consciously single for three of the years, which probably most people spend heavily dating, which was from the age of 21 to 24, I didn't go on a single date. And really? it was probably the best decision I yeah. could have made. Absolutely. That is extraordinary. And what about the romantic part? You know, where does the romance fit in and what does that mean to you? Well, the romance part is the fact that I've been daydreaming about my wedding since I was seven years old. Oh. I'm the cliche of someone <laughs> whose top priority is wanting to get married, wanting to have kids. And yet, as a result, that meant that, unfortunately, when you're a romantic, it sometimes comes with the phrase hopeless romantic. Mm. You want to see the good in someone so much that you don't see the reality. And as a result, I walk through the world with rose-tinted glasses, which makes it very hard to see the red flags. Yeah. Well, I think we're usually told that being selfless actually means thinking about others, which sounds like a kind thing to do. But, you know, being selfless in relationships might mean that we end up getting married just to say, please, our parents, or Mm. we stay longer than we want to in a relationship, maybe for the kids. You know, what sort of things are we talking about when we say we need to be selfish in love? And, And why are those things ultimately kindest, you know, for everybody involved? 
Well, I think it starts from the outset. So it's from the moment you match on a dating app. And realistically, that's how most people meet nowadays. Um, so it's when they arrange the date to not have the date two hours away from where you live and 20 minutes from where, where they live and going, hey, you know what? That doesn't work for me. The problem is women have been trained, especially in the love life area of our life to be easygoing, low maintenance, as amenable as possible. And so instead we go, oh yeah, don't mind, whatever you want. And that sets a precedent for the relationship of being more easygoing than frankly most women are. Right. And not understanding that your needs are important. And men have been dating selfishly for years. If you look at the word selfless, it's only the highest compliment when it comes to women. The fact that the highest compliment for women is when we forget ourselves, which is literally the definition of selfless, is actually something that I started to look at and being like, well, why am I being complimented on putting everyone else first and forgetting myself? I'm important too. Mm. Do you know, that's so interesting. And I think self-love or self-esteem, you know, whatever you like to call it, is a big part of this conversation, isn't it? You know, and why are we more likely to end up in healthier relationships? And I don't just mean necessarily romantic ones, if we have a really confident idea of what we deserve. Absolutely. So it, it's that fear when you say, hey, no, that doesn't work for me, mm. that that person will leave. But if you have self-esteem, you know that person can be replaced. When you don't have self-esteem, you worry that's going to be the last person. Um, you believe you're difficult to be with when in fact you don't realise that everyone's difficult to be with in some way or another. And actually, if you're yourself from the get go, you want to repel people. And I know that sounds really? like a backward way of... And yes, absolutely, because you want to repel the wrong people. So if someone says to you on a second date, you're too needy, you're too difficult, great, go find someone who's easier. Yeah, I want bye. someone who's actually... <laughs> exactly. Okay. And now that you've been through like a divorce and everything else, you know what it's like, how, mm. how many things to actually last in a romantic relationship, you're going to see each other through grief, potentially miscarriage, so many serious things. So yeah. I always say, if you're gonna run at the first sign of weight gain, good luck holding my hand through pregnancy. You're gonna run at the first <laughs> sign of my surgery scars, good luck yes. holding my hand in hospital. There are so many things that can happen to you in the course of a life. And I learned that lesson very much through surgery scars. So I've got surgery scars all over my stomach. And Gosh. obviously at 19 years old, a lot of guys are not expecting that and they were scared by it awkward by it all of these things when actually what i needed was a guy who actually if you can't deal with a scar how are you going to deal with me lying in a hospital bed and actually being my rock while i'm going through something terrifying myself yes that's extraordinary isn't it and I, you know it's really interesting to frame it that way and think about that confidence that we need because I guess with confidence comes an understanding that we shouldn't have to change we shouldn't have to change ourselves to find a partner or to be lovable and I know women especially we hear lines like oh men don't like this type of woman or mm. men don't like it when women do this but you know at some point men will like those things and they will like your particular characteristics so how do we then go about appreciating what we can bring to a partnership well so the first thing I want to say is that men aren't a monolith so the one I always heard was men don't like loud women and I'm very loud it's why I have a job like my whole job is me talking and having an opinion um and when I was so concerned with how someone perceived me and wanting to be liked on dates 
I would try to be quieter on the first date. The problem is there are men out there who do like loud women despite what society says. But if I'm pretending to be a quiet woman, I'm not going to find that man. If I'm loud, that's going to repel off all the people wanting a quiet woman on the first few dates, at which point I will discover who will actually like a loud woman. And there's just no such thing as 50% of the world want a specific characteristic or a specific personality. And so when society says that, it's again feeding into this old trope that was really fed in um, old school dating books, like this idea that we should be this one mold of what a woman should be in order to be dateable and lovable and then don't worry once you're in a relationship you can drop the mask and you've hooked them in and it's too late (laughs) well what if i don't want to manipulate someone into loving me because that's actually what it is it's manipulation I'm so impressed, you know, by your early years of of staying single because there's so much fear mongering around of not being in a relationship. And I know I I feel that myself. I kind of feel that implied the connotation that you must somehow be unlovable or perhaps just unhappy with the situation and actually be looking for somebody when maybe you are perfectly happily, you know, single. People think that you couldn't possibly be choosing this state to be single. Is that how you understood it when you were single? I think it was more me just looking at my life saying that my life was a mess and how the hell could I figure out what I want in another person when I didn't even know who I wanted to be or what I wanted in my own life and that the idea of adding someone to that mess uh, would just complicate things and then also that I knew I was in a vulnerable place I'd just been diagnosed with PTSD because of my surgeries and so when you're in that vulnerable place you aren't going to attract the best person because you don't know what you bring to the table romantically Mm -hmm. so it was it wasn't intended to be three years when I first decided on it it was actually just a decision of like every time I date a new guy I am spending all my life coaching sessions with my own life coach talking about this guy and I I have other things to talk about and better things to talk about that are more to do with my career or more to do with my own emotions or my own mental health And so it felt like every new guy coming into my life was actually becoming an obstacle. And that's why I decided to just put it on pause. The pause ended up being longer than it was simply because my career took off. And so it took off all my time and energy. And I think there is just room to now say, you know what, my love life isn't my top priority and that's okay. And I'm a good enough woman. I'm a good enough person to be a full person without a love life. I think Mm. sometimes our defining characteristic has to be that we're a good girlfriend, a good wife, because society tells us so. And I just realized, you know what? I can't give anything to anyone right now. I need all of that time and energy to myself. It's fascinating. I love the fact that a life coach has a life coach. I think that's that's just (laughs) genius. It's great to hear. But what about those who do genuinely just prefer being in a relationship, you know, a, a happy, fulfilling one, obviously. How does being a selfish romantic work for them? Are we allowed to admit we're lonely when we're single? Absolutely. But I think we also have to realise that people in a relationship are also lonely too. Right. I think we have a confused concept around loneliness that it's something that if you have enough self-love and you have enough romantic love or platonic love in your life that you will never experience loneliness. 
Loneliness is just an emotion like sadness or hunger. And if you expected someone to never feel hungry for the rest of their life, well, they, they'll say things like, oh, well, I just had a massive meal. So why should I eat again? Well, sometimes your hunger doesn't make sense in the same way your thirst doesn't make sense. Sometimes mm. you can feel lonely with loads of people in your life. Um, and this expectation to never feel hungry again is basically the same as not feeling lonely again. And so a lot of the times when you're single, you'll go, well, the reason why I'm lonely is because I'm single. When actually loneliness means a need isn't being met and that need could be something like intimacy but it could also be something like community which you can be absent of community when you're in a romantic relationship and so i think first of all we need to stop shaming ourselves for the loneliness we feel stop taking it as a personal sign of how unlovable we are and also look at it more broadly because I've had moments in my relationship where I have felt lonely because I didn't feel like I'd had a wide enough support system outside of that relationship. I didn't have someone I could talk to maybe about my career or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or actually in a broader sense, as a society, we have lost that sense of community. We don't tend to know our neighbors. We don't have local gatherings in our neighborhoods. And so that loneliness could actually come from a broader thing that you're experiencing. That's so true. And I have to say, I've I've never felt as lonely in my life as I had was feeling during an unhappy marriage. You know, that was definitely true from from my perspective. And I know from from reading your book that you took some time to be sort of consciously single. You know, how did you cope with that in your brain? What did you tell yourself? And, you know, perhaps I should be doing that now. I find myself on my own. Well, I had to sit in that loneliness and it was a painful experience. Like, I won't lie. There's no reason why most people don't like being alone and don't want to face that. But I realized that that's actually what I was running from. I think this goal of loving being single sometimes is a bit unrealistic. But if we lower the bar and just understand that if you... If you still see being alone as the greatest threat, then you are going to settle when it comes to romantic relationships because you are seeing being alone as the worst case scenario when actually spending the rest of your life with you, you should be able to know how special you are that you get to spend that amount of time with you. And the only way you do it is by actually spending time with yourself, by actually cornering out parts of your diary and saying, okay, Mm -hmm. Monday evening is for me. No one else gets that time. Doesn't matter whether my boss sends a last minute request. Doesn't matter if my friend invites me to a house party. That evening is 100% for me. And yes, there will come points where it's uncomfortable. And I spent a lot of nights sitting on my sofa in silence, just being in my body and feeling those feelings of loneliness and all the thoughts that come up with it, like, especially because of the age I was like, I'm a 22 year old home on a Friday night by myself. All of those thoughts that come up, like you have no friends, no one cares about you. It forces you to face it and you realize that's what you've been running from the entire time. Mm. And also realizing that that loneliness is trying to send you a message. It's trying to help you push you on a path to get that need met. Yes, I have to say I I am actually in a much better place now and I'm really enjoying that alone time. And I do make a note in my diary to have dates with myself. I've even been known to go to the theatre on my own and take myself out to dinner and have, you know, have actually a really nice time without anybody annoying me. And I'm also enjoying that moment of self-reflection, I guess, like you on a Friday night sitting at home on your own. 
when I can listen to what is going on in my head and sort myself out. And I certainly feel that I'm a happier, stronger person for it. And I, you know, I I look at girlfriends of mine who perhaps have been married for many, many years, perhaps unhappily, some of them, not all, obviously, but some who just think, actually, it's better to be with somebody than to be with no one. And I, you know, I do actually feel like, you know, going up and giving them a good shake sometimes and saying, no, actually, you know, you don't have to settle, you know, you don't have to compromise. But do you think there's a danger with all of this perhaps going too far the other way that we become hyper independent and and we then find ourselves unable to ask for help or even admit that we might actually quite like to have somebody to rely on or somebody who's there for us? Absolutely. So one of the first things I learned was around how being alone is actually better than a bad relationship. And I experienced that in my first relationship that I mentioned earlier. And when we broke up, all I felt was relief. But then as you start, especially if you consume too much social media, you're going to be hearing a lot of narcissists, toxic, red flag. Everyone has a problem and everyone else is the problem. And it's got nothing to do with you. And you're just the victim who goes on these rubbish dates. Frankly, if you date enough, you are going to go on a rubbish date. You're going to get stood up. You're going to get ghosted. It's an inevitable consequence of living in a society where we can't have the difficult conversations. So people run away. Fine. Fair enough. But also there is a point where there's a difference between being picky and nitpicking. Right. Which is uh, the example I use is um, Chandler and friends dumping a girl because her nostrils are too big. (laughs) If you've got to that point, you're probably nitpicking. Mm -hmm. And what I want to remind people is that nobody is perfect. And if you run at the first sign of a red flag, not only does that mean your love life is unlikely to be successful, but also then you forget that you aren't perfect either. And if you are that judgmental about the people around you, then you are going to judge yourself as well. And I do think it is cancel culture trickling down to the individual level and has actually affected all of our love lives because we want to almost bubble wrap ourselves from all the potential hurt that can come with dating by cutting people off because otherwise we worry that we're two years down the line and we should have seen this and we should have seen that actually you can't be a mind reader and you're not a fortune teller and you can't jump ahead into your future and wish you knew all the things you knew back then yes absolutely you should stay conscious and if you notice things and especially if you notice things repeatedly you should take action on them and perhaps end the relationship but people are always going to mess up and you need to give them an element of space and a little bit of benefit of the doubt especially if you've been dating them Mm -hmm. a decent length of time yeah really wise advice well we've talked about how we can become more comfortable loving ourselves and and being solo but stay with us because coming up next I want to find out how we can take that energy out into the world once we are ready perhaps to start dating This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, we talked about the time that you took, Michelle, to be consciously single. How did that then translate into a more fulfilling dating life once you decided that you were ready for that? Yeah, so the moment I realised that I was ready, I actually had just finished my TED talk and I came home to an empty house. My housemate was out at the time and it was just those that moment where I was like, oh, I actually feel like I'm missing something from my life. It would have been really nice to come home to someone. And it was the first time I realised that actually cutting out this area of my life meant that it could actually add something and bring something back in. So it was whirling in the back of my brain and then I went to a photo shoot and a few friends were on the photo shoot and they asked me if you reached out to one person, who would it be? And that question just stayed in my mind for a few days and then I realized there was one guy I kept thinking about. Mm. So they threatened to sign into my Instagram account (laughs) to send him a message. And I was like, I can't do that. I've never done anything like that before. So when they threatened, I was like, fine, I'll do it. So I sent him a text saying, hey stranger, how's things? And that kickstarted my dating life. Um, It was that moment of realizing, actually, society tells you a lot about what you look like. And I am plus size, I'm mixed race, I've got scars on my stomach. And it was this moment of saying, actually, you know what, I don't have to believe all these narratives about what I look like. And actually, I can have a great dating life, despite what society says. And so I actually just started going on dates. And I think the best way to have a great dating life is actually just to try it. And I had some amazing dates. And I think I 
was going on these dates without the perspective of a relationship. I just wanted to, it was like an experiment to be, just to try it. Mm. And that took off so much pressure that I started loving dating. <laughs> and what I realized is there's no conversation about how fun dating can be. It's always about like the dread around a first date or the ghosting. Yes, and how risky and yeah, yeah and or how it's how going to end in disaster or be dangerous. All of these things. And no one mm. talks about actually you can just have a really nice evening with someone, not want something any like anymore, but be really interested by the person. Some of the people I dated were fascinating. I dated a pastry chef who worked at the Ritz. I dated a platinum selling a record artist. So I learned all about the music industry through him. Um, even a guy who was doing a master's in psychology and I realized I did psychology in uni and I realized, oh, I really miss psychology conversations. I should bring some more friendships into my mm. life who have the same psychology interest as me. And it was all, all of these dates were not just learning more about their industry or their life. It was learning more about myself because I was realizing by taking the pressure of this goal of a relationship, I actually could just enjoy the person in front of me. And it didn't matter whether the person was going to stay for five years or 10 years. I could just enjoy date three and enjoy that evening. And also when I started organizing dates for things that I actually just wanted to do in London, I had this stupid thing in my head of, I'm never going to go to the Sky Garden until mm. I, I'm like in a relationship. Cause I thought the Sky Garden for some reason was really romantic. <laughs> so I just took myself to the Sky Garden, like, and it wasn't yeah. that great. And I was like, it's not that special. And I was, but yeah. that feeds that narrative in your head of like, yes. oh, my life is rubbish until I get a boyfriend because you've left all of these things after yes. this imaginary finish line that you're not allowing yourself to experience. It's fascinating. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I used to not go to the theatre because I used to think, well, I haven't got anyone to go with. And then I started going on my own and really loving it. And now, you know, I'll often buy two tickets. And if someone wants to come with me, great. If not, I'm super happy to go on my own. But what is the goal of dating then? You know, how do you measure success or, or fulfillment here? Is it is it that you've had a good time, that the relationship carries on, that you get the second date? You know, what's what's your goal? Well, so I talk about in the book how you can set different goals around it because to go from no goal to like the goal of a relationship is quite a big spectrum. So you can set goals like one of the goals I set on a date was to interrupt less. That's a habit I really want to work on. I'm not very mm. good at listening. And so one day I set the goal of listening to the person more, asking more questions. And these small goals were not just making me better in my dating life and being better on the next date. They was making me better as a conversationalist in general, which benefits my career, which benefits my friends, mm. all of these things. One day I just set the goal of wanting to learn more about the person, um, to walk away from the date knowing one new thing. Setting the goal of something that is that I can control and was within my power changed how I view the date. And then over time, I actually just lost the idea of a goal. Sometimes I would set an intention to just have fun. Mm. Um, and sometimes I would just go with the curiosity of, I have no clue what is going to happen this evening ahead of me. And let's just find out. And actually being able to not have any goal was liberating because I think sometimes we live in a society that has productivity at its forefront so mm -hmm. much that everything has to have a goal. Everything has to have a mission. Actually, you can just do something because you're curious and it's fun. I think that's genius. I, I love the fact that you've gone on those dates and, and the goal is to, to listen more or to come away from the evening or the lunch or whatever, you know, knowing a little bit more about X. I think that's that's a really interesting way of, of looking at dating. 
Talk to me about emotional availability, because that's a phrase we hear quite a lot. But, you know, what does it actually mean and why is that important to assess your own emotional availability as well as somebody that could potentially be a partner? So I think it's a phrase that's also often overcomplicated. At the end of the day, someone who is emotionally available is simply available to date you. So if someone's on their phone the whole date, they are not available. If someone is making it difficult to plan a date, then they're not available. Um, If someone is shut off when you're trying to have a conversation with them, especially about emotions or something vulnerable, then they're not emotionally available. There are so many phrases around it, like commitment phobe, but all of it's Mm overcomplicating it. You know when you're dating someone emotionally available and a lot of the most telling things are when people ask me questions. I do a lot of like Q and A's as a life coach. And a lot of people will ask me things like, is it okay to have a crush on someone who's in a relationship. Well, what's that telling you? That's telling you they're not available, let alone emotionally available. Or they will say something like, why do I still like this guy who doesn't like me back? Again, emotionally unavailable. And what people need to understand as much as it's a harsh truth is that if you are attracted to someone who is emotionally unavailable, you are emotionally unavailable too because you wouldn't be interested otherwise. Really? Well, because an emotionally available person wouldn't ask me a question like, what do I do with this guy I like is in a relationship? You would see that person as off limits and you wouldn't even entertain that thought. You wouldn't go there. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's sort of turning the tables, isn't it? I mean, how do you feel about the way it's often said as an insult that somebody is too picky? You know, should we be picky or should we not be so picky? I mean, imagine how much time you spend with this person. You should definitely be picky if you're going to <laughs> okay. be spending, if you're going to be sharing a house with the person, you're going to be spending every night with the person. But again, it goes back to that line of being nitpicking. And if you are yeah. trying to find fault in someone, you will be able to find it the same way that if you are looking for a problem, you'll find it. The thing is having that element of grace and not making cold cut decisions. So I think sometimes with all this conversation of red flags, it's like a one and done approach. But if you have a one strike policy with everyone else, then don't blame them when they have the same harshness with you. And so everyone makes mistakes. It's about whether they're able to communicate through it. So even with my boyfriend now, we've been together for two years, but within the first five dates, there were moments where I was like, this is not okay behavior, like turning up late. Um, And I said like, hey, this is not okay. Time is really important to me. And Mm -hmm. it's really important to me that you respect my time. How he responds, whether he responds with an apology or why are you making such a big deal about that is telling. So -hmm. instead of being... I think a lot of the time we doubt ourselves and we go, oh, well, maybe I'm going to come across too mean if I make an issue out of this or I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Instead of that, I want you to turn on them and go, okay, I'm going to set my boundaries. I'm going to state my needs. I'm going to tell them what I think of their behavior and let's see how they respond. Mm -hmm. How they respond will tell you everything. But instead what people do is they go, oh, he's late. Okay, I'm I'm done. And delete their number, ghost them, (laughs) goodbye. And there's no conversation. You've not learned anything from it. You've not learned how to have a hard conversation. You've not given them benefit of the doubt because who knows, something actually could have happened and it could have been the rare instant that they were late. And you've also not actually practiced good communication yourself because in order for you to have your boundaries respected, you have to communicate them. Exactly how you were mentioning the top of the podcast about your ex-husband 
Maybe you didn't know that he wasn't welcome in the kitchen anymore. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I, yeah, now I should have spelled it out, let alone sit and eat my cereal. Anyway, yes, now now he knows and, and he does actually ring first and ask. And yeah, you know, that's fine. We've, we've got our boundaries. Interesting that you talk about ghosting. And this seems to be a relatively new phenomenon, maybe because we've all got smartphones and it's easy to sort of ghost somebody. And for anybody listening who's not aware, it's when somebody literally just drops you off. It's like they've died. They just disappear. You know, I've been ghosted and it's extremely hurtful. How do we cope with it? What What do you say to people who come to you who've who've been ghosted? I mean, should we expect it? Should we just say, well, let's just get over it? You know, it's their problem. It's not mine. What's the advice? So I turn ghosting into my biggest turnoff that the moment they ghost, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. So even if they reappear, there are a lot of reappearing ghosts as right. well. Um, and they'll come Phantoms. back two months later, three months later. <laughs> yeah. But all it is, when they reappear, they want to see whether they still have a chance with you. They like to have people as backup options. Right. And to put it as a turnoff in your own head means that when they reappear, you communicate like how you would want to be communicated with. And you just reply saying, hey, lovely to hear from you again, but unfortunately I'm no longer interested. Communication is really important to me. And this disappearing and reappearing thing doesn't work for me. Yeah. And that's all you need to say, because at least you've communicated. Ghosting is painful and it's a lot more painful than a simple breakup in some ways because of the lack of closure, the yes. lack of a lot yeah. of con- a, a lot of confusion comes with it because a lot of the time you're having a really good time and then they've just disappeared and you have no reason or understanding. As much as possible, put that person out of your mind. Write an entire list of all the reasons why you were incompatible. Write a list and have that present in a in somewhere which is really accessible, like a note section of your phone. So that every time your brain wants to fantasize about the person or think about, oh, I wonder what, what they're doing or I wonder whether they still think about me. You go to this list of all the list lessons you've learned from your experience, no matter how many dates it's been. And also you have that firm boundary with yourself that if they reappear, you don't entertain it. Someone who can ghost you once will ghost you again. Don't give someone an opportunity to ghost you twice. Love that advice. Thank you very much. I love the fact that you talk about being so intentional about dating and, and working at relationships. You know, popular culture often tells us we have the idea of the one or or soulmates and in doing so sort of presents the right relationships as sort of effortless, you know, in some way that we're just going to find this amazing being. I can imagine that you, you don't believe in soulmates or do you? No, I don't. And I think relationships take a lot of work. I think it's so strange to me how what we look at in dating does not align with what we look at in relationships. So in dating, something that's like really put at the forefront is your appearance that you have to put your best foot forward you need to turn up on dates looking your best all of these things but actually long term in a relationship your partner will see you in all kinds of ways my partner's seen me coming out of an eye surgery wearing like the most hideous goggles and like (laughs) (laughs) has seen me in bed after three days not having washed my hair if someone's attraction to you is that fragile then good riddance And I think we need to look at dating from that point of view, that actually, if someone's going to find it difficult every time you have an opinion on a third date, fourth date, Mm -hmm. then that's likely going to happen long term in a relationship as well. And I think this idea of the one means that we we run at the first sign of difficulty when actually we're always going to have conflict in a relationship. And I think Everyone defines conflict very differently, which is why I use the word conflict, because some people will say, oh, we never fight, but they do have disagreements. Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, two people in the same disagreement could say one's a fight, one person say, yeah. oh, we didn't even have an issue. So the perception of fighting is um, very different. So I just use the broad category of conflict, but I think that's normal. And actually, when I look at the relationships have no conflict whatsoever, it's usually because one person isn't being honest, mm-hmm. that one person is being the people pleaser. And so every time they have an issue, they bury it, yeah. they bury it. They might release the valve slightly with a bit of passive aggression and sarcastic mm-hmm. comments once in a while. And then usually they explode about something, not necessarily even at their partner. They could be exploding at the person on the street who's stubbed their toe or um, in the mm-hmm. car with road rage. Yeah. They release the valve in another way. But that emotion is still present. It's still there. Yeah, and really unhealthy to, to bottle it in. Well, let's talk about dating apps. Uh, this is new for me, and I'm not sure whether to go out there or not. Let's just see. But I love the analogy you write in your book about comparing people who complain about dating apps to business people complaining about sending invoices. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so what I say is if you want the money, you've got to send the invoice. Like no one's sitting there going, (laughs) I love sending invoices. No one loves being on dating apps, but you want to go on dates, go on a dating app. I think my pet peeve with it is that the people who complain about dating apps and are especially vocal about how awful they are, are also the ones who make zero effort in person. They won't meet anyone day to day. And then also when they're in a party, they're not talking to anyone new. Well, you can't expect someone to magic themselves into your life so if you want more of a dating life dating apps are a great avenue and i'm not saying you have to use them but then you have to be meeting people and making that extra effort of even talking to strangers at the bus stop or if you work in a co-working space actually talking to someone new or if you go to a party actually talking to someone who you don't already know I I really don't think it matters where you meet people. I think dating apps are wonderful. I was single through the pandemic. And so it was a great way. If there were no dating apps, then through the pandemic, my dating life would have dried up. But actually, I could still have options. And I think options are a great thing. Mm. Well, you know, dating is a bit of a new world again for me, as I said. You know, what are your thoughts on dating multiple people at once? I think it, it it raised my bar at least. So I'm the kind of person who used to attach to people quite quickly. I would be upset after a first date, second date if someone ghosted. And actually, when I thought about it more logically, I was like, this person is still a stranger. They still don't know me. And so why am I giving them commitment when I'm not even sure it's being reciprocated? And at the end of the day, I know from being on dating apps for eight years, guys aren't stopping after the first swipe. They aren't swiping, matching, and then going on a date with that one person and then being exclusive with them from the get-go. They are still dating. And so I think there's this stereotype that women are always going to be the more attached party in straight relationships. And actually, that's not by accident. That's happening because women are deducing exclusivity earlier than men are and men are continuing to date. So they have multiple options on the go. But if women were able to do that too, then you actually, what happens, because I did do this while I was dating, is you raise your standard and you become stricter with your boundaries. Because I remember one one of the dates I had planned, it was a first date. I had three first dates that week with three different guys. And the second one, he he had messed around my timing. He had changed it a few times. And eventually I was just like, hey, this isn't going to work. We're not going on a date anymore. And the reason I said that was because I had a date two days later that I was sure. like, I don't need to settle for okay. this behavior. Yeah. I'd already been on one date that week. That guy was like replying to all my texts, great communication. I had another one planned. 
I'm not going to settle for someone who's messing around my calendar when I'm that busy that three of my evenings out of the seven mm. are already being taken up. I love it. And and coming back to you being the queen of boundaries, presumably a lot of that being selfish, if you like, and setting boundaries when we're dating comes down to direct communication, as you say. But it can feel so difficult, can't it? You know, sometimes we'd rather not say anything at all in case we hurt someone's feelings. Well, I think if you're caring about someone else's feelings, it becomes impossible to set boundaries because you actually have to put the other person and how they respond and what they think of you out of mind in order to set that boundary. And so... When you're dating, that becomes even more difficult because, of course, you want them to like you. When actually, if you have that filter of you want to repel off the wrong people, you do want to turn some people off, then maybe that action of saying, hey, this doesn't work for me, let's pick a place closer to mine, Mm -hmm. is going to repel someone. Great, then I don't want someone who's not going to make the effort. In the same way that if someone texted me at two in the morning, they are not getting a reply. I do not reply to people at two o'clock in the morning. Yet if someone comes into my life and expects that I will reply, of course they're going to behave that way. And I think when I started having boundaries, I actually started looking at some of the behavior that was happening in my life a bit differently because I started seeing it as, okay, but I accept it. When they text me at two o'clock and it annoys me, instead of saying I'm annoyed, say or not even saying I'm annoyed, saying that's unacceptable and that I'm not going to respond at this time, um, I'm certainly not coming over to anyone's place at two in the morning. Mm. I'm going, ah, don't worry. Like, um, yeah, I'm just going to head to bed now. Don't worry about it. Like, and coming across as if it's it, how I feel about it isn't important. Um, And so a lot of that early stage of dating is about setting boundaries, setting a precedent for boundaries in your relationships and seeing how they respond. And I suppose the final learning point that we need from you then is how to cope with rejection. And I suspect that's where the temptation to start changing ourselves comes in because, you know, people didn't like a certain thing about us. How do we cope with rejection? We're going to get it. So how do we get that resilience? I think you have to let it hurt. The main thing that I tell people is that if you feel rejected, let that feeling exist because you denying it and saying something like, oh, well, it was only the second day, I shouldn't be so upset or I'm making a big deal out of nothing doesn't actually stop that emotion from existing and actually just builds shame on top of it. So let it hurt. And if you have to take a break from dating, take a break from dating if it's a week, two weeks, even longer and let yourself heal from it. Another thing I do to help speed the healing process is to take as many lessons as I can from it. So that's looking back at seeing all the things I might have missed, all the things that I like to forget when I want to romanticize it, because that's another thing that happens when you get rejected is you romanticize that person as the perfect person who's now just walked out of your life. Um, And then the other part of it is, especially when it comes to early stage of dating, is to not actually see a lot of it as rejection. So rejection can only occur if the person actually knows you. For someone to reject you, then they have to actually know you. But a lot of times people create hurt by saying, oh, well, so many people rejected me today because I'm, I swiped on like 20 people and only one person matched me back and I feel all of that rejection of those 19 people. That person isn't rejecting you. That person is rejecting your profile. And that might sound like a pedantic difference, 
But as an author, what I the comparison I make is it's the difference between me being rejected as a human and my manuscript for my next book being rejected. My work can get rejected without me being personally rejected. And what you have to remember is they're strangers, so they don't know you. They haven't seen your whole complex personality and gone, yeah, that's not for me. They've seen a snippet. Even if they've gone on a first date, second date, max they've spent with you, maybe six hours, that's not even touching upon how much the people in your life already know you. Really fascinating. Michelle, we could continue this conversation for a long time, but I'm going to go away and absorb a lot of what you've said and put a great deal of it into practice. Thank you so much. I love your book. Huge success with it. And thank you so much for your time. Lovely, lovely to have you here. Thank you. Well, if all this has got you thinking about altering how you manage the relationships in your life, do also go back and listen to some of our recent episodes. For example, Joanna Harrison, that was the one about how to cope with conflict in relationships and also Lucy Beresford. She talked through dating after divorce in particular. And if you'd prefer to listen to these episodes ad-free, you can now subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee. Well, I will be back next week, but if you're wanting more from Lizar Wellbeing in the meantime, do follow us on social media at Lizar Wellbeing. You can also find me at Lizelle Me. And one listener who did just that sent in this lovely bit of feedback via email. She says, I just want to send a massive thank you for the spotlight that you shine on HRT and for not shying away from the more controversial subject of breast cancer and HRT too. The recent fantastic podcast with Professor Avram Blooming had me in tears as I was driving along listening. I started oestrogen and testosterone replacement therapy about eight months ago under the supervision of the Dr. Louise Newson Clinic. I had ER positive breast cancer in 2009 and again in 2018. Following all the conventional treatments, I found myself at 53 years of age feeling very grateful to be alive, but very sad at how small and difficult my life was feeling. Needless to say that currently I am very well active, more energetic and hugely relieved to be taking my HRT and that I have the support in place to do this. Your balanced, informative approach makes it that little bit easier for people like me to take more ownership of their health and treatment. Many thanks and much gratitude from a very happy listener. Well, thank you so much for sharing your own experience here with us, dear listener. Feedback and continuing the conversations are so very important when it comes to enabling and empowering other midlife women, especially who might just need to hear this. Well, if you'd like more regular updates to wing their way free of charge into your inbox each and every week, just sign up to our free weekly email newsletter. Head to lizardwellbeing.com to pop your name on the list and we will send it to you absolutely gratis, no strings attached. That is it for this week. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.